Hello, this is Pastor Mo, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Broussard. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these messages. My hope is that this sermon will be a benefit to your spiritual growth and that you will prayerfully take to heart the contents of this week's message. I also encourage you to pull up the accompanying sermon notes and follow along as you listen. If you have any questions or would like to follow up after the sermon, feel free to contact me or our staff here at First Baptist Broussard. May God bless you as we begin this week's sermon. Well, I see a few new folks here today, some guests and visitors. We appreciate you coming. Won't you know you're always welcome uh, at our church. Uh, just to kind of let you know, we're in a series, and uh, since starting in January, called Walking with Jesus Through the Gospel of John. And in this series, we've been w- walking and working our way uh, from John chapter 1 up to today, uh, just kind of getting a clear and accurate picture of who Jesus really is, what he said, what he did, and what he expects from us. And of course, our goal is to be authentic and genuine followers of Christ. So even though we've been in this series, and maybe this is your first Sunday here, each Sunday is a standalone message, so it kind of stands on its own. But I encourage you and anyone else here who has missed any of the messages, uh, you can go to our website and... Uh, and you can download and watch all the sermon audios, actually for the last year, to do that. Uh, and you can go to our church app as well, and you can download it there uh, uh, through the church app as well. But today, we're up to John chapter 13. So if you'll take your uh, Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. This is the second half of it. Somebody's not happy, huh? But this is the second half of the, of the book, which really focuses on the last week of Jesus' life and his ministry. So, the title of the message is, Do You Understand? Do You Understand? Uh, all of us have different struggles that we go through, uh, some worse than others, uh, that we, we, we don't quite understand what's going on. But I uh, encourage you now... Uh, to pay attention to the screens. We've been watching a little video uh, called uh, The Gospel of John, and this is just this short passage of Scripture that's acted out to kind of help us get this first-hand account and understanding of what uh, this passage is about. So let's listen and watch this section. It was now the day before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He had always loved those in the world who were his own, and he loved them to the very end. Jesus and his disciples were at supper. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, the thought of betraying Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him complete power. He knew that he had come from God and was going to God. So he rose from the table, took off his outer garment, and tied a towel round his waist. 
Then he poured some water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. came to Simon Peter. Are you going to wash my feet, Lord? You do not understand now what I am doing, but you will understand later. Never at any time will you wash my feet. If I do not wash your feet, you will no longer be my disciple. Do not wash only my feet, then. Wash my hands and head, too. <laughs> Those who have taken a bath are completely clean and do not need to wash themselves, except for their feet. All of you are clean. All except one. Jesus already knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, all of you except one are clean. After Jesus had washed their feet, he put his outer garment back on and returned to his place at the table. Do you understand what I've just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And it is right that you should do so because that is what I am. I, your Lord and teacher, have just washed your feet. You then should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you. So that you will do just what I have done for you. I am telling you the truth. No slaves are greater than their master, and no messengers are greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know this truth, how happy you will be if you put it into practice. Capture where I got the, uh, the title, Do You Understand? Jesus asked twice about do you understand, and, and understanding that he, they, they did not understand. That's what, uh, there's a little saying that I sometimes ask, which kind of uh, applies to this situation is, have you ever heard of someone say, I do not understand why you do not understand, that I do not understand. Understand? Well, if you're confused with that, it's probably about how the disciples felt. Uh, many of you know people who, uh, maybe you're one of those, who just don't quite get it. You know, there's uh, something said or something done, they're just a little slow to the uptake on it. Uh, and so this is sort of the case that we have here. They were having a difficult time understanding what in the world Jesus was talking about and doing because he had not been acting like they thought he should have been acting. You remember from a few weeks ago, you know, riding a donkey in and then you know, getting his feet washed and covered by, by Mary and then the different things he's been saying about dying and giving up his life. None of this made sense to him because they had in their mind 
already what they thought Jesus or the Messiah was going to be like, act like, and what he was going to do. But you see, Jesus has his own plan and own uh, agenda. He doesn't need our direction and guidance, and we need to be careful that we don't try to portray on to God or Jesus what we think things should be like. And that's uh, much of the problem that we have is that we are trying to run the show when we just need to let Jesus be Jesus and, and do that. Now, the verse here in John 13, 7 sort of centers us on this. Jesus answered him. Now, this is Peter. Remember, Jesus was washing all the feet of the people, and Jesus says, you don't, what I'm doing now you don't understand, but afterwards you will know. So hopefully by the end of this message you will understand more uh, of what Jesus is trying to say and what he's trying to teach us in, the, in the, this passage here. And uh, I've sort of uh, given it a uh, subtitle of this message, Aim High and Go Low. Now that may not make a lot of sense, but uh, hopefully it will after you hear it. We need to aim high in that we look to God Look to what Jesus has done. That's the model that we do. And then take what he's done, what he said, and then bring it down and serve to people around us. We pray every Sunday, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we need to keep our aim high about what God has said for us to do and how we should respond. And then go low and serve. In this passage here, you couldn't get much lower uh, of a situation that, uh, that we find Jesus doing. You'll notice here on the left is a picture from a few hundred years ago, a very famous one, even though it's not a, an accurate depiction. It kind of gives you that idea of Jesus in, by serving and washing the feet. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, I mentioned to you that feet were considered the dirtiest, vilest part of the body. And no good self-respecting Jew, especially Jewish man, uh, would touch another man's feet or another person's feet. That was a Gentile slave's job. But most homes had a bowl of water that either kind of self-served or maybe somebody would, would, uh, in, the, in the group would do that. When they had come to this house for a meal... Now, the setting here in John, it doesn't set it up quite the same as it does in Matthew and Luke. This is the setting of the Last Supper. Jesus is gathered with his disciples, and they're fixing to partake in the Lord's Supper uh, and the Last Supper. Now, John doesn't go so much into it right now, but he talks about this one instance and, and about, about the, what it was. You see, Jesus and the disciples had come, and they had walked, and their feet were dirty, and they walked in, but nobody was there to wash the feet. So they just came in and kind of sat down reclined. Now, it's not real clear here, but in those days, they ate on a low table. I'm talking about just a foot or so off the ground. It was a long, low table. And they would kind of lay on their side, on their left arm, and eat with their right hand, with their feet straight out. And that was part of the reason was uh, they just didn't have chairs back in those days. But was that when you had your feet stretched out like that, the, ser the servant, slave, could come by and wash your feet. 
while you continue to eat and you wouldn't have to be bothered about it. You wouldn't even have to even acknowledge that person. So here was the disciples getting ready to eat and, and they, they noticed and heard and they looked down there was Jesus with a towel wrapped around him and washing their feet. Now this was, you know, it, it, it may be hard to kind of catch that, but this was just unnerving. You ever been somewhere and somebody has done something or said something and it just makes you feel really uncomfortable? And you just really wish they wouldn't do that or say that? Well, this was the case. It was embarrassing for them to see Jesus do that because that's their master who was acting and doing a job of the lowest slave. It bothered them. They were, in a sense, embarrassed over Jesus and what he was doing. That's a sad situation. And they were also, not only were they embarrassed, they were caught up in a uh, personality uh, uh, conflict. If you go to Matthew and Luke, these are the two passages that, that says something about this setting here that's not in John. Jesus says in Matthew 20, Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. And then in Luke 22, he picks up a, a different aspect of it that sets the reason, maybe, one of the reasons why Jesus did what he did. And there arose also a dispute among the disciples as to, listen to this, which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest? Now, isn't that just a mature thing to do? Argue over which one of us here is the greatest. And Jesus said to them, It is the one who is greatest among you who must become like the lowest rank and the leader like the servant. So, Jesus had come. He had dirty feet. Nobody washed his feet. But he wanted to set an example to say what needs to be done, that we need to serve one another. That, we, that, that, that true love serves. And so he models for the disciples what needs to be done. So, with that in mind, let's briefly look over things. Now, I've got eight things here. Now, they, they run real quick together because we're basically just going to skim through this passage because it's pretty self-evident of these. But these are eight points that we need to get some understanding on uh, Six of them are positive, two of them are negative. But sometimes we need to understand what's good and what's bad. But let's just quickly work our way through this. First of his spiritual insight. Verse 1, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. You see, Jesus had a purpose and a plan. He came to this earth to die on the cross. That was his purpose. That was his hour, what he came for. He had insight. So we need to understand that Jesus knew what was going on. He set the pace. He had come. He says, time to do what I need to do. So this is the process that we're doing. So keep in mind, spiritual insight on Jesus' part is also something that we need to be seeking for, is spiritual insight of what God wants to do. Second, we see a picture of sustaining love. Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now that may not strike you Strongly, but that is one of the most beautiful descriptions of God's love for us. In that he loved them while in the world, but he loved them to the very end. That means a couple of different things, but one is that he loved, them, he loved them enough to come to the end of his life, to give his life, to sacrifice his life for us. 
But he also, that sustaining love continues on all through eternity. We're always going to have that love. In Romans 8, it says, you know, talks about what can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Death, life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So that he's teaching here in this passage that he has a unique spiritual insight and that he has a, a love that will sustain them in this life and the next. Now we come to a negative. We kind of flip from, from Jesus over to Judas. And this is where we need to understand that we are not acting in this manner. Now, by the time of the supper, the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Now, Judas had been with Jesus for three years, ate at the table and walked with him every day for three years. And here at the end, selfishness and betrayal and pride took over, and he made a decision, a choice to betray Jesus, to turn away from what Jesus' plan and purpose was. Last week I talked about uh, your, your decisions determine your destiny, and it matters what you believe. Well, Judas made a very ominous and regretful decision to betray Jesus, to turn his back and not follow him. And thus, that set him on the road for eternal Separation and damnation, the place we call hell. Selfish betrayal. We need to evaluate ourselves to make sure we understand that we're not allowing any selfishness or anything in our life that would betray the purposes and the teachings of Jesus Christ in our life. We may not be openly betraying like he did. But if we are, like I mentioned last week, uh, of the incomplete faith, a secret Christian, hypocritical Christian or compromising Christian, then we're, in a sense, we're betraying the principles and the teachings of Jesus. Well, let's get back to the positive here. Sovereign control. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and he had come from God and that he was going back to God. This sort of matches up with that spiritual insight. Jesus had spiritual insight, he had love, and he had full control. Well, keep this in mind because the next day, uh, later that night, actually, and in the morning, he would be uh, arrested by the Roman soldiers. He would be tried by the Jewish courts, and then he would be crucified. Now, that scenario does not seem to indicate that he had sovereign control on the surface. But nobody, no, not, not the Jewish leaders, not the Roman authorities, none of them, were responsible or had power to crucify Jesus. Jesus allowed himself. That was his plan. He had a sovereign control of, of the situation and that, that God, Jesus took control of the situation. Now, the disciples, they were uncertain of themselves for, because they didn't have a clear understanding of who Jesus really was. They still had the wrong impression. Even after sitting there all those, those days and years, they did not understand what he, what he was going to do and that he had to give his life. And it was his job and his purpose and owned that one. So the sovereign control we see. We also see a portrait of sacrificial humility. 
So Jesus got up from the supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured the water to the base, began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel around him. Now, I already mentioned how humiliating and embarrassing that was in, in that culture in that time. But Jesus has given us an example, just like the sustaining love and that he had full control. He's teaching them the principle of sacrificial humility. That if you're a true, authentic, genuine follower of Christ, you must have a humility about you and a willingness to sacrifice. Because you see, only absolute humility can produce absolute love. There's a story uh, from the 1700s where the, the Revolutionary War, there was an American Revolutionary uh, Corporal and he had three or four guys working with him, and they had a cannon stuck in the mud. And they were working all their heart to get it out. But the corporal just stayed on his horse and just barking out orders and refused to help. Well, a civilian came by on a horse and saw this uh, and said, Sir, uh, would you, you, you want to help them out some? Maybe they need some help. He says, I'm a corporal, sir, in the Revolutionary Army. These are my underlings. They're going to do my work. Well, this guy got off his horse, went over there, put his shoulder to the wheel, and they helped pick it up and got it out. And as the guy walked by, he talked to the corporal. He said, Mr. Corporal, if you have any other problems, I want you to feel free to contact me. And so he gave him a card, and, and on it was written, George Washington, Commander-in-Chief of the Revolutionary Army. He says, yeah, just, just let me know when you need help. And he walked away. Well, you see... George Washington modeled for, for that corporal what it meant to be uh, humble and sacrificial. Some of you love to eat at Wendy's, the, uh, the hamburger place. Well, Dave Thomas is a Christian, and he's often asked about why he was so successful. And he says, well, it's because I depended upon my MBA. And then people begin to ask, you never went to college and got an MBA? He says, no, it's mop bucket attitude. Mop bucket attitude. We need to have a mop bucket attitude as Christians. Too many of us are wanting to be the corporal who's leading everything and, and, and letting everybody serve around him or, or doing the, the top, what's considered the important things. But you see, every position, everything that needs to be done, no matter how low it may be, sweeping the floors, washing feet, feeding the hungry, taking care of diapered kids and, and those things. It's all part of the sacrificial ministry. And Jesus laid that out for us. Now we come to the second of the negative ones. Jesus came to Simon Peter and asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you will know. You will never wash my feet ever, Peter said. But Jesus replied to him, if I don't wash you, you will have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except for his feet. But he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why I said you are not all clean. There was shocking confusion in the situation. See, what, the, what Jesus was modeling was this insight and love and power and control and focus and the disciples were giving him betrayal and confusion. We need to make sure that we don't fall into those things and that we are confused about what Jesus is doing here. Simon Peter said, don't, 
you know, you're not going to wash my feet. But once he understood what it was, oh, yeah, my hands hit everything. But you see, the principle here is, is Jesus is really kind of, I think, reinforcing the idea that once you are part of God's family, in our understanding, saved and are Christian, you don't need to be saved again. Your sins have been forgiven. Your, your debt's been paid. But spiritually and metaphorically speaking, your feet need to be clean. We walk through a world that is spiritually dirty. And it kind of gathers on us our thoughts and attitudes. That's why the scripture says we need to confess our sins. And God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That passage in 1 John, which is the same writer of this John, is writing to Christians. He's saying, you're going to sin, but, you know, you need to confess that sin and cleanse you. So that's what this is. And the teaching here of what, what's, what Jesus is trying to teach us is that we need to stay clean and, and ask that and not let confusion reign. Then specific directions. When Jesus had washed the feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. This is well, for I said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. Now many people have thought that, that this is Jesus uh, enacting foot washing as an ordinance. You know, like Lord's Supper and, and uh, baptism. There's nothing wrong with foot washing, but I, that's not, it's not really the context that it's giving here. He is giving the example of this sacrificial humility and giving us directions. He says, just what I've done, I want you to do. You see, Jesus never asked us to do anything that he hasn't commanded us to and modeled for us to do. That's part of our task, is to, to be authentic and genuine followers of Christ, is to let this, this humility and this service to flow through us. We're to have loving service to one another. That's the, what we need to do. If you're not willing to lovingly serve another person, especially a fellow Christian, but the world as well, then you're not modeling and doing what Jesus asked us to do. And there's also this idea of spiritual cleanliness. Like the last point I talked about, washing your feet. We need to make sure that we're serving one another, but that we also are staying clean in our spiritual life. There are some, people, there are some of us here who are, have some ongoing sin that needs to stop. And we just need to ask for cleansing and to, to avoid and stay away from that. Now, Jesus models for us what he expects from us. He saw a need and moved to meet it. He didn't wait for an invitation. He took the initiative, took off his uniform of greatness and got down on his knees. He didn't announce what he was going to do, and he didn't wait for a thank you. You see, that Jesus is setting this example. This is just kind of working out this idea of Jesus showing us what we need to be doing and following his pattern and his method. Philippians 2, 5, and 11, and I'll ask you to join with me on the yellow section. This is a teaching uh, from about 20 years after Jesus, during the time of Paul. He, the same idea of sacrificial humility had continued on, and it was a standard understanding and teaching of the, of the time. Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man in extraordinary form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Join with me. For this reason, God highly exalted him 
and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself. He took off the heavenly robe and came down in place on human flesh and died on the cross for us, washed the disciples' feet, served. But you see, the disciples in this passage were embarrassed about Jesus. They were ashamed. Some of us are embarrassed or ashamed to confess and share our faith openly, thinking that somebody will, will look down upon us or think weak of us. You may have heard this little story. It's been around a long time. A mother and her daughter, they were having a birthday party. And uh, they were all excited about it. And the little girl said, let's fix up the party and do the best we can. But mom, would you please wear those long white gloves during the ser- when you serve us? She said, okay, uh, uh, honey, I understand. So they came, all the kids came. But in the mix of it, the mother got, got so up, caught up with all the things, she forgot to put on the white gloves. So she served the meals and all the stuff. The little girl didn't say anything, but afterwards, she came up to her mother and says, Mom, I'm so embarrassed and ashamed of you. I told you to wear those white gloves. Well, the mom, because she understood the situation and knew that the daughter did not understand, says, Honey, sit down let me tell you something. You see, my hands that you were ashamed of, when you were little and a baby in a, in a crib, you were in an older house and you, your, your father was at work and somehow or another a fire broke out in your room and it was just you know, the, the curtains, the, everything was on fire. So I raced in, pushed open the door and pushed the flames aside and grabbed a, t- a blanket, wrapped you up and pushed my way out. And in the process, my hands were all scarred and burned. So I understand why you're embarrassed. But as soon as she finished, the little girl reached out and took her mother's hands and said, Mom, these are the most beautiful hands I've ever seen. You see, she didn't understand what what the situation was. She was just looking at her attitude and her viewpoint. The disciples had that a similar viewpoint. They just didn't see. They didn't understand what Jesus was about. I hope that you are not ashamed of Jesus. Not ashamed of the hands of Jesus that, that spread on a cross and was crucified, who gave up his life, was beaten and shamed for us. You see, it's easy for us to just try to have a prideful or a protective nature about ourselves. But you see, we need to humble ourselves to sacrifice and to follow his principles in every way. Because you see, the takeaway from this passage as we close here is we need to aim high. Aim high and look at what Jesus did. Set the highest bar, but then take that and go low and serve the lowest of the low others that are around us. Service is what it is. See, Jesus says, I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done. Jesus expects us to do what he did, 
That's part of our task. That's what authentic and genuine followers of Christ do. We understand that we must serve like Jesus. This is Pastor Moak again. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this sermon. Maybe something you've heard in the message or read in the notes has challenged your thinking about your faith. If so, our staff is here to help in whatever way we can. Or if you prefer, check out the Faith Life tab located on our homepage at www.fbcbroussard.com. There you can find answers about salvation, spiritual growth, and getting plugged into a local church. And don't forget to check out the other sermons in this series as well. May God bless you.